forgot to turn on the recorder so Jeff would be mad at me. So. Yes, I would. <laughs> okay. So, it says, As the, his beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist, to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Father God, I pray now, Father, that as we come to sit at your feet, to hear from you, I pray that I would decrease. I pray that I would disappear. And that Christ would preach. They don't need to hear anything I have to say. They need to hear Christ. I pray that we would hear Christ. That all eyes would be focused upon Christ. And we would be conformed to Christ. And our marriages would be conformed to Christ and the church. Would you help me now, Father? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the reason I open up with that text is because, yes, there are some things in Scripture that are hard to understand. Peter tells us here some of the things Paul writes. You know, he writes about many things. Uh, one, just justification by faith. It's not easy to understand. You know, so simply believing you're made perfectly righteous before a holy God by faith, apart from works. I mean, some things are... They're, they are difficult to understand. We must understand them as we see in the text. Some people twist these things to the destruction of their own souls. So we must understand them. However, there are some things in Scripture that are really simple, that are really straightforward. And one thing I found in my own Christian life is it's not those difficult passages in Scripture that are so hard to live by. It's the simple things. Simple commands. And they could be the hardest thing in the world. And in scripture, one of those very straightforward, simple teachings is the teaching of how husbands and wives are to conduct themselves in a marriage. I know personally out of all the things I've dealt with, just a simple, straightforward teaching of marriage is the hardest thing to live out. If you've been married any amount of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So today, rather than just simply giving instruction, I want to look at, okay, is there something in Scripture that will motivate us? to be able to obey the simple and clear teaching that we find in the scriptures. Where do we find motivation in marriage? Do we look at our spouse? 
I know if my wife looked at me for motivation to obey the word of God, she'd find very little, if any. And even if she did find some, it would last about that long because I would do something stupid to mess it up. So where do we find this motivation? Does scripture give us this motivation? I mean, Jesus Christ could simply say, you know what? I'm Jesus Christ. I am the head of the church. I'm Lord. You obey me. But he doesn't just do that. He gives us motives. So that's what I want to do today. I want to search uh, three texts and look at what motivation that we can pull from that. So first, I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 22 through verse 33. So first Paul here, he addresses the wives. Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So it's, again, very simple. Submit. But how do you do that? Is there motivation? Sisters, where do you find the motivation? Can you look at these verses and find some motivation here? Well, if you look in verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and here it is, and he is the savior of the body. What, what Paul is telling us here is that husbands, yes, they're the head, they're the authority, but husbands are to act as the savior of their wives, pursuing their sanctification. Pursuing, as we'll see when we get to the husband's role, pursuing, making them look more and more like Christ. So, wives, what, what's the motivation here? I know one thing about every single Christian woman is she wants to be conformed to the image of Christ. She wants to look more like Christ. So, why submit? Because your husband has been put in your life so that you may be made more and more like Christ. Now, as for the husbands, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So stop right there. So the husband is told they should love their wives. Sounds very simple. What does that love look like? Well, as I said, the husband is to act as a savior, and we see how he's supposed to act. Here he says, Christ, he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, Washing her in the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So how should we as husbands love our wives? Where do we look to find what this love looks like? We look at Christ. How did Christ love the church? Jesus Christ, first of all, says he gave himself for her. Okay, this word gave is actually used many times when it talks about Jesus being betrayed, given over. You husbands, we are to give ourselves over. That It may mean giving up some rights, giving up some free time, but give ourselves for our wives' sanctification, getting them in the word of God, washing them in the word of God. So that we might present them blameless, without spot, without blemish. So as husbands, we should love our wives pursuing their spiritual well-being, their spiritual sanctification. But what is the motive for this? Well, husbands love your wife just as Christ also loved the church. So, every Christian husband, just like the wives, wants to look like Christ. How do you reflect Christ? Husbands, how can we look like Christ? We love our wives. We give ourselves for them to sanctify them, to cleanse them, washing them in the water of the word. But does, is it only spiritual and it stops there? No. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we see the husband is to love his wife by pursuing her spiritual well-being, but physical well-being as well. And this, when we do this, husbands, we look like Christ. When the wives submit to their husbands, they look like Christ. They're being conformed to Christ. When the husbands love their wives, they look like Christ. You see, Christ is the motive for marriage. With that being said, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. So you may have heard that text. And you be... We can say, okay, that sounds good in a picture-perfect marriage. The husband is pursuing their sanctification. The wife is submitting. But marriages don't always look like that. They should. I know in my own marriage, I wish I could say my marriage looked like that all the time. But it doesn't. So Peter has something to say to us. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says, Wives, likewise, note that word, we'll come back to that. Wives, likewise, 
be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of the wise. When they observe your chaste conduct or pure conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So as I said, in a picture-perfect marriage, we're like, okay, the husband pursuing of sanctification, the wife submitting as she does to the Lord. But what happens if the husband is not obeying the word of God? Should that motive change? Well, as we see here, Peter tells us that even if some do not obey the word, that the wife is to conduct herself this way, with a gentle, with a quiet spirit. She is to conduct herself, and still, as we even see here, as submission is kind of worked out in obedience. But you're like, why? What, what is the motive for that? Well, like I said, that word likewise. What that word likewise tells us is that we have to back up. We can't just start there. It's tying something together. Now, if you back up to verse 18, he speaks, Servants, be submissive to your masters without fear. Verse 18 in chapter 2, rather. Servants, be submissive to your own masters without fear. Not only to the good and harsh, or good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So, this master is disobedient to the word. Yet the servants still must be submissive. And why? Jump down to verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So, when the wife submits, when the wife obeys this husband, though he is disobedient to the word, she looks like Christ. She's walking like Christ. She is following the example of Christ. Now, I know there's a lot of questions that pop up. Okay, well, what if he's abusive? Well, what if he tells her to do something that the word of God forbids? There are scriptures that deal with all this. I'll just make a few comments. Okay, what if he's abusive? Well, wives, you do what you do, what you can to defend yourself. You make it public. Do not keep it private. You make it public. You go to the law and get them involved. Okay, if he tells you to 
be disobedient to the word. Well, this so happens to be Peter writing this epistle. And we see in verse 13, he says, uh, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake. Yet, if you go to Acts in chapter 3, when they tell him that they're the government, they're the ordinance made by the Lord, they're like, hey, you can no longer preach. He's like, uh, well, you judge, shall we obey you rather than God? And when they get captured again in chapter 4, he's like, uh, maybe I wasn't clear. We ought to obey God, not you. So, there are scriptures to deal with those things. But now, a word to the husbands. So, we see in chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, in that word again, likewise. So, it's tying all this together. So, even if the wife is not obedient to the word, how, how should we as husbands conduct ourselves? Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So we are to dwell with them according to understanding, literally knowledge, and what is that knowledge? I think the Greek construction uh, brings it out even more, because right after knowledge, it tells us what that is says, according to knowledge, that she is the weaker vessel being a woman. And honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. So what kind of knowledge? Knowledge, yes, of the word of God, but knowledge according to your wife. We are to know our wives and dwell with them accordingly. But what's the motivation for that? We see that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, your motivation is communion with Christ. It all goes back to Christ. The wife's motivation is Christ. The husband's motivation is Christ. But I'd like to go to one more motivation, which is really, I think, something we don't, think of too often, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 2 through 10. Now, I know coming here, you're like, okay, what's it going to say about this text? Well, I'm, I'm not going to deal with everything in this text. I was tempted to, but... That would take us another direction. Um, but I will make a few comments. First of all, if you're not there, this is the text about head coverings. Very controversial. There are very many um, different ideas of what this means, different understandings. Very wise, very godly men come to this text differently. But one thing, whenever we come to a text of Scripture, we must come to it as Scripture. You're like, that's obvious. Well, there's actually a lot more to be said than just the surface. Like, for example, in Second Timothy, 
Paul tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable for our teaching, our reproof, our correction, our training in righteousness so that we might be equipped for every good work. So when we come to texts like this, though it might be tempting just to read over the text and say, okay, that was confusing. Let's get on to something I can understand. We must realize that even texts like these are for our teaching, are for our reproof, our correction, our training and righteousness to make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, like I said, I'm not going to deal with everything in this text, but I want to point out one thing that has to do with motivation and marriage that is in this text. But first of all, a little background. This text is where Paul is beginning to deal with the public meeting of the church. This is actually his uh, third question that he's answering. Back in chapter 7, you'll see he always starts with this word, now. He says, now, it is good for a man not to touch a woman and begins to deal with marriage. We come to chapter 8, now, concerning things offered to idols, he deals with that. Now we come here and he begins, now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Okay. And what we see here, he is dealing with a question. A question that they are asking him. This isn't Paul laying down something that is like, this is how churches are to um, behave and conduct themselves for all time. He is answering a specific question. However, we see in verse 3, before he answers it, he points to the most important thing. And he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, which is literally the head of the wife is the husband. Though women and wife, man and husband are the same words in Greek. We just saw in the text, it says, wife, submit to your own husband. The husband is the head of his wife. Not of everyone. But we see here, Paul is telling us, this is the important thing. They're asking a question about head coverings, as we'll see. Paul's like, I want, I want to let you know what's important about headship. You know, the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Then he goes and deals with the question. Now, we're not going to spend much time diving into this part, but he is saying, look, because of the headship established by God and Christ, therefore, the way you conduct yourself in the church, it should be a reflection of that. So we can have some instruction because, as I said, okay, the head of the wife is the husband. So as we come, as we gather we should conduct ourselves according to that headship. So in verse 5, it says, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if 
If it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from women, but women from man. Nor was man created for the women, but women for the man. And this is the verse I wanted to get to. Notice it starts with a four. Every time he's starting with a four, he's giving us a motivation or an application. Or some way that means that we might keep this. Verse 10, four this reason the women ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. So what is the motive for the husbands and wives in the church to conduct themselves in this way? It's because the angels. When we gather here, the angels are watching us. You know, in Ephesians, he tells us that our great salvation, beginning in chapter 1, he talks about election, he talks about adoption, okay? he talks about our inheritance, he talks about many, many, many things, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He goes on in chapter 2, talks about how we were dead, we were walking according to this world, we are walking with Satan. We have been raised up with Christ. We have been seated in heavenly places to walk in the good works that were God has prepared for us to walk in. As we get to chapter 3, he tells us something interesting. He says that all of these things were that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That all the eyes of heaven might look at the manifold wisdom of God. We get a picture of this in Revelation. When they're praising Christ, they say, You are worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals because you were slain and have redeemed the God by your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made them kings and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the angels, which according to Peter, they are desirous to look into our great salvation. The angels behold our salvation. But I just want to ask you, how must they glorify God when they look at two individuals who are not just two individuals that were raised up from the dead and seated with Christ to receive an inheritance? To receive every spiritual blessing. But he's taken these two individuals, which could be as different as night and day. He has brought them together. He has fashioned them and formed them and created them into an image of Jesus Christ and the church. And the angels, when they behold our marriages, they resound with glory to God. What a wonderful thing he has done. Naturally, we be at each other's throats. We want to kill each other. But 
Look at what God has done. He works in both of them to will and to do for his good pleasure. He works humility. He works submission. He works obedience. He works love in the husband. He works for the husband to honor his wife. And when all of heaven, they look down upon our marriage, they glorify God for what he has done with these two individuals, bringing them together. All of heaven resounds in glory to God. Gives glory to Christ. So we see the motivation for our marriages. It's the glory of Christ. When wives submit to their husbands, they get conformed to Christ. When husbands love their wives, they reflect Christ. When wives even obey their husbands who aren't obedient, they follow the example of Christ. When husbands dwell with and honor their wives, they have communion with Christ. And when we conduct ourselves in this way, excuse me, when we conduct ourselves in this way, the angels, all of heaven, gives glory to Christ. (coughs) So brothers, sisters, let Christ be the motivation in our marriages. Because if we look to one another, we're going to fail one another. We may find just about that much motivation, then it'll be gone by the time we find it. But when we look to Christ, we have a motivation that never changes by the Christ who is the same today yesterday and forever Christ is our motivation so I pray that the Lord might use this and he would conform every marriage in here to Christ and the church and for those of you who aren't yet married I pray that he prepares you to be that husband, to be that wife that you are to be, to glorify Christ. Or maybe to minister to that couple you know for the glory of Christ. But let's make Christ our motive in all that that we do. And let's seek to be conformed to him. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, (coughs) I thank you for this word. I thank you for giving me enough voice at least to make it through the sermon. I pray that now you will glorify your son. 
In every marriage in this place, in my own marriage, I know I need it. I pray that as all of us go out of here, we would know where to look and our eyes would be fixed on Christ. For if we seek to find motivation in our spouses, we will be up and down. But when we look to Christ, the solid rock, we can find all the motivation we need to obey your clear teachings on marriage. Would you help us all, O God, to be doers of this word, receiving your word with meekness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.